May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Be seated. Well, tonight, of course, we ponder and we celebrate this incredible, incredible miracle that happened 2,000 years ago when the eternal Son of God entered into human history as a baby. As a baby. Now, many of you know that in the Wagner household, we have a new baby. <laughs> Little Sam, who's just over two months old. And um, he is, of course, helpless. He can't do anything on his own. He can't really communicate besides cooing and crying. He spends most of his days uh, sleeping, eating, laying around, staring. He has to be fed and clothed and bathed and changed. He's completely dependent on others. And this is how the eternal Son of God entered into human history as a helpless baby. I think everybody should hold an infant at Christmas time just to kind of get the sense of that, the feel of that. This is G.I. Packer wrote the supreme mystery of our faith as Christians, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of the eternal word of God. J.I. Packer says it's not really the Good Friday message of atonement nor the Easter message of resurrection. The supreme mystery of Christianity is this incarnation, because if you you see, if you believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man, it makes sense of the rest of the story of the New Testament. If you don't believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man, then you have a hard time believing what the New Testament tells us about him. But if you believe the Christmas message that this babe who was born in a man, that he performed miracles, it's not strange that the immortal one rose from the dead. It's not beyond belief that his death means something to us all. So J.I. Packer says the incarnation in and of itself is unfathomable. It's an unfathomable mystery, but it makes sense of the rest of the New Testament. If you believe this story, then you should have no problem leaving the rest of the story. And this is a story that's based on eyewitness testimony. The people who saw it, who witnessed it, who were there, and who gave their life for this testimony, for this witness. In the story of Jesus' birth that Luke records for us, Luke is careful to pay attention to detail to make it clear that it really did happen in time in Jesus Christ. God descends to us. God comes to us in humility. He came, as I mentioned, as a humble baby. That's remarkable enough. But he came in humble circumstances. This babe was born in a stable, in an animal stall, and he was laid in a manger, which is a feeding trough. And there was no room for the Son of God. There was no room for him. In the end, there was no place. And no one would make a space for Mary, a young, pregnant woman, just ready to deliver. Nobody would give up their space for her. So Jesus was born into a world that was, and still is, oftentimes a cold and callous place. There was no room for him in the end. There was a, a Christmas pageant 
one time in a small church, and in this uh, play, the parts were taken on by teenagers. And the fellow who played the innkeeper was a little awkward. He was very uncomfortable with the spotlight. He didn't really want to do this, but he was pressured into it. And when Mary and Joseph appeared at his door, he spoke his one line very quickly. There's no room for you in the inn. We have no place for you. But as Mary and Joseph turned and walked away, walked away wearily, the innkeeper suddenly became compassionate and was transformed. And he said, wait a minute, don't go. You can have my room. I don't know how they picked up from there. How did they improvise that one? (laughs) But the compassion was in short supply when Jesus was born. There was no room for him. You know, compare the circumstances, the circumstance of the of the birth of royalty. Even today in our world, when Prince George was born a couple of years ago to uh, to Prince William and Princess Kate, the eyes of the world were fixed. The media was out in droves. People lined the streets waiting to see. They're in the hospital in London just to get a glimpse of the prince that was born. Uh, Police security and and palace security officers were blocking the streets. And then after they briefly showed the baby, the Prince George, to the adoring crowd, he was whisked away to a palace. He was put into a caravan of black Range Rovers. What a contrast to the birth of Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings. He was born in humility. And the first people to get word of his birth were humble folk. This announcement wasn't made to priests or prophets or magistrates. The angels announced Jesus' birth to shepherds, nameless shepherds, poor shepherds who were working the graveyard shift. Why was Jesus born like this? Why did he come into the world in great humility? Why was the announcement made to humble people? Well, God wants to make it clear that his salvation is for everyone, for all of us. He's approachable. He has come for us all, for the lowly, for the nameless, for the guilty, For those who don't think of themselves as very religious. And yes, for the high and for the mighty. Whoever will humble themselves to meet the humble Christ will be received by him. So his birth is good news of great joy for all people, the angel says. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's no longer the babe in the manger. He is Christ. He's the Messiah. And he is the Lord. He is the risen and ascended Lord who will come again as a judge to judge the living and the dead. But on this day, he offers himself to us and reminds us that he came to save. Christ was born to save. Is he your savior? Are you trusting in him for your salvation? For forgiveness of sins, for peace with God, for a life that's filled with meaning and purpose here and the guarantee of eternal life to come because he's the risen Lord. He's the risen Christ. He saved us, Paul writes in that letter to Titus, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because we're righteous. Paul reminds us, in fact, of what Christians were like before they 
experience the goodness and loving kindness of God. I wonder if some of us can relate to this. Or he says in chapter three, verse three, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. I wonder if anybody can relate to some of those characteristics, foolish, disobedient, astray. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Our works were not righteous, he said. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, And the Spirit is poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, the gift of salvation, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are justified by His grace, not by our works. So God did not send us primarily a teacher, although Jesus teaches us important and and, and great truths of God, of course. God did not send us primarily an example, somebody to emulate. We don't live up to Jesus' teaching and we certainly don't live up to his example. God sent us in Christ a Savior who saves us by his grace. It's a gift that we can receive and we can have eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins and peace with God. Jesus Christ was born In a wooden stable, he died on a wooden cross. And on that cross, he took our sin and our guilt and our shame and all the things that Paul mentions to that letter in that letter to Titus, our foolishness. He lived the perfect life. We've lived a foolish life. He lived a pure life. We have been enslaved to our passions and desires. But Jesus lived a perfect life in our place offered his life up in our place and bore our sins on the wooden cross. He rose again so that we can have eternal life. And so he comes in humility and he calls out to us this evening in humility to receive him and to cling to him for salvation and joy and peace. The great Danish uh, philosopher Soren Kierkegaard told this parable He said, suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. And this king was like no other king. Every statesman trembled before his power. He was so great. No one ever spoke a word against him because he had the strength to crush all of his opponents. And yet this mighty king loved a humble maiden. He was melted by his love for a humble maiden. How could he declare his love for her? In an odd sort of way, his, kingly, his kingliness, his very majesty tied his hands because if he brought her to the palace and crowned her head with jewels and clothed her body with royal robes, of course she wouldn't resist because no one resisted this king. But would she love him? She would say she loved him, but would she truly love him? Or she could live with him in fear. She could nurse her private grief for the life that she left behind, but would she be happy at his side? How would he ever know? If he rode into the forest and and found her cottage and he came with a great army and royal carriage, that too would overwhelm her. And so this king, he didn't want 
a cringing subject. He wanted somebody who loved her, loved him. He wanted her to forget that he was a king and she was a humble maiden. And then to share a love that crossed the between them. And so the king convinced that he could not elevate the maiden without crushing her cottage incognito. And he wore an old cloth loosely around him. He renounced his throne and he won her hand. And that's a parable of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He descended. He renounced his throne. He came to us as a humble baby. He died on a wooden cross. He's risen. He reigns the right hand of God and he will come again. But this is the time to remind ourselves of the way he came the first time and to receive the salvation that he offers. So, friends, open your hearts to Jesus Christ. Open your hearts to him. If you're skeptical, ask God to reveal Christ to you. Pray about it. Read the scriptures. Ask God to reveal the truth of what Jesus did for you. Keep an open mind. Sometimes we ought to be skeptical of our skepticism and doubt our doubts and be open to the possibility that this is not a myth, that that God loves you and he's broken into human history to prove it in Jesus Christ. If you're feeling guilty, sinful, ashamed, astray from God, come back to him. This Christmas Eve to the one who was born to be your savior. If you're afraid, if you lack peace, if you're lonely, remember. Give thanks to God for this humble king, his son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. I do urge you to consider Christ if you're here today and. I've never made a commitment to him. I never claimed Him as your Savior, as your Lord. In the back of the bulletin, there are some prayers that can help you get started. There's a prayer of repentance. And then there's a prayer for those who are wondering if God really even exists. An inquirer's prayer. It goes like this. Oh God, I'm beginning to believe in your reality. Help my unbelief. I long to understand all that it means to be loved and known and forgiven by you and to be made whole. I long to know what it means to be at peace with you, others, myself and your creation. Help me to better understand Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. Have mercy on me. Open my eyes to all that you are and draw me closer to you, I pray. That's a prayer that you can pray too. Gracious God, thank you for the truth of the Christmas message. Thank you for the joy that is found in Jesus and the peace that passes all understanding through him. Thank you, O God, for this light in the dark world that gives us hope. And thank you for meeting us here in this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.